Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today I have two guests on the episode. I'll be speaking with Barbara Wilischko and Gianmarco Bovenzi. Barbara wrote a paper called Upskilling and Reskilling, Can You Make a Difference in Poland? That is part of the publication Next Generation EU, a Southern-Northern Dialogue, published by the European Liberal Forum and the Luigi Naldi Fondazione. Barbara is a researcher on EU policies, an expert for agricultural policy at the Polish Senate Committee on Foreign and EU Affairs. As for Gianmarco Bovenzi, apart from being the editor of the publication that we'll be talking today, he is also the project manager of the Fondazione Luigi Naudi. He's an Italian attorney at law, specializing in criminal and technology law, and holds a master's degree in law and LLM in American law. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July. I'm here with Barbe Wilschko and Gianmarco Banvenze. Thank you so much for both of you to coming to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Ricardo. Thanks you for the invitation. Oh, it's great to have you both here. And Barbara, you wrote a paper for the publication Next Generation EU, a Southern Northern Dialogue. And Barbara, the name of the paper is Upskilling and Riskilling. Can they make a difference in Poland? Reading your very good piece, I was very, very interested in it. I see that you make some very crucial points about EU policies and member states and how can this adapt to the labor market. So let's start with that. There have been some tangible benefits of EU co-finance projects, and those ones have resulted in concrete changes in employment. For example, in Poland, you mentioned that employment dropped from 20% in 2003 to a little more than 5% in 2009. However, there are still room for improvement. Tell us from your experience, from your work, what are the next steps? Well, the next steps are related to huge challenges of the job market in Poland and in the whole economy. Uh, they are quite similar to other EU countries like aging of the population, gender gap in the labor force, uh, but also new technologies which are impacting uh, labor markets hugely. And also mm -hmm. green transition, which makes some uh, jobs like miners obsolete and uh, appearance of new jobs related to bioeconomy. Uh, so there are huge challenges uh, for the job market in Poland and in the whole EU. Well, are you saying aging of population, gender gap, labor specificity? And you do suggest plans for what you call plan human capital. Before you tell, tell us about those plans, what do you mean by planned human capital? I mean that uh, the policymakers at different levels uh, of uh, adm public administration think about uh, the challenges facing by their uh, administrative uh, area and uh, the economic, economic development of the area, demographic structure of the area, uh, potential of the area and think what types of uh, jobs uh, will be needed in the near and more distant future uh, and um, try to 
cater for these needs so that the educational system uh, not only institutional education educational system but also uh, you know different forms of uh, training uh, long-life training mm -hmm. are uh, provided for the uh, society so that uh, these trends uh, are catered to and uh, the job market works smoothly. That is very interesting and uh, we have Gianmarco here in the conversation because this publication aimed to have a cross-sectional perspective of this kind of problems. Tell us when you think about Poland, for example, which is the example you know better, how different it is, this specificity? So when you're thinking about the agricultural sector, the tech sector, and then, for example, the public service sector, how different it is inside Poland? Because then we can extrapolate how, it is, how different it is from Poland to Hungary, to Italy, to Portugal, to Spain. So. Why are you saying is that there's more like a, a getting together of the needs or on the other way around, they're getting even more disparate, they're getting even more different? Well, I think that we are getting in Europe and the whole world more and more uh, similar uh, because the trends are mm -hmm. work for all of the countries in the world. So uh, I think that there um, trends uh, are the same, but the specificities of the countries and regions are different. So we have to also think about this when we are uh, designing public policies. You do mention employment for job seekers, promotion of self-employment, uh, working capacity of older people, something that we do care also in other uh, countries in EU. We have colleagues from Scandinavia that they're working on this, also from the Mediterranean. What are the, 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 the concrete plans that you see that has to be set with uh, the, you know, the European Union funds and even investments in the private sector for this to, to become a reality? Uh, well, I think that uh, we have to know what we need. So first of all, we have to know uh, what kind of skills uh, will be needed in the near future. Generally, uh, digital skills are a must for almost all of the professions. And I think that uh, even people of, like of my age, middle age, need to uh, get some trainings so that they are not left behind uh, in this digital uh, transition. Uh, so this is a vital issue. Yes, that's, that's a great point. And there is some discussion, Barbara, repeatedly with the fact that digital doesn't mean necessarily unemployment. It means reskilling, exactly the name of the, your paper. It's the repetitive tests procedures, that kind of repetition, that'll be the machines taking over. But there are other areas where people are nexus necessary and the computers will not replace us. Do you see that in Poland? No, I think that it's a great opportunity for uh, different groups of uh, people. For example, in agriculture, we are talking about these short supplies, food chains, so that uh, small farmers given the internet access can uh, uh, sell their goods to people from all over Poland and even from all over EU. So they need this uh, internet access and skills so that they can sell not only at the local market, 
to their neighbors, but also to people who live like 100 to 200 kilometers uh, from their farm. So uh, this is an opportunity when used uh, wisely. This uh, can be a great opportunity for many people to uh, to change, for example, not only their businesses, but uh, like uh, consumption habits. And both Gianmarco and I, we don't have the experience you have, of course, on this, but Gianmarco, I will bring you to the conversation in here, uh, not only from the publication, which you are the editor, but also your intuition and the work that the Luigi Naudi Fondazione does in this particular. You guys are very interested in the part of economics in Italy. Do you see the same trends in here in particular, which is machines will not take our place? What is happening in Italy? Well, in this point of view, I would say that it's, it's, it is pretty hard to imagine that machines will actually take humans' place, fully take humans' place. Um, on one hand, uh, I would say that Italy, on uh, the digitalization standpoint, it's not yet as as ready, maybe, as other countries might be. Obviously, the digitalization and robotics and AI and, and mm -hmm. all this, this other, you know, uh, evolution of, of technologies might bring some sort of um, changes in, 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 uh, in the population and in, in, in the work of, of, of the people and probably somehow replace, somehow replace in certain categories uh, what is the, the human uh, role in, in society. But I don't see in this moment, and I will not see it in, 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 a, in a foreseeable future, a moment in which dig digitalization or uh, you know, the machines might replace human beings at, at, at all. Yes, I think that uh, for some people, uh, rescaling, finding new uh, uh, profession, new pathway for career will be necessary because uh, they will be replaced by machines, but uh, there are, will be new opportunities. And um, many research proves that uh, we as humans need this human touch. So, for example, we prefer to uh, be given given a coffee which was made by humans, even if it, uh, it takes longer than by robots. So uh, I think that this, this human touch will, uh, will be there always. So, Barbara, for you in this particular, uh, about the human touch, you as an expert in this area and talking about upskilling and reskilling, do you think that economics then will not overcome this kind of need of having the labor market working more with this, as you mentioned, and I, I like the expression human touch. So do you think that most companies will understand that not only profit by robots and artificial intelligence like Gianmarco was saying will replace you know this need of having human interaction and that it, the market will push that to happen what is your thoughts on that i think that uh, we'll have uh, two different areas you know uh robotics uh, so robots replacing humans because it will be cheaper but at the same time this uh luxury uh, services and offer for people who have money and who, who can buy these products with human touch. All right, getting to a little more into your paper, and we're not going to talk all about it because people can read it. Just go to the uh, ELF website. I'm going to put the link 
on the show notes of the podcast. The publication is there, your paper is there. But I was particularly interested in the part of policy recommendations because that was one of the challenges that Gianmarco, as editor of the Luigi Naldi Fondazione, did for us, the authors. I am also an author on this publication. It is policy recommendations. You have many, and I'm going to ask you, please, to choose two, three, to tell us, to our listeners, what are some of the paths that we have to go through to have this kind of policy. So, first of all, uh, the institutions of the job market, so the institutions that help job seekers uh, find a job, so there is still digitalization needed there. Uh, but also individualization of the offer. I mean, uh, for the person, for a given person uh, looking for a job, but also for a region that this person is looking for a job. So there are specific needs of the regional and local enterprises and economy and uh, the individual skills that a person has and uh, possibilities for uh, upscaling, uh, reskilling of this person, so uh, the offer must be flexible and individualized. Uh, so this is an important thing. And also an important thing is that uh, we live long, we uh, live in an economy that is changing so quickly. We have to get to know new uh, skills, new uh, new professions, so we need this uh, not only uh, lifelong learning, but also advice where we can go with uh, our experience so far, with our knowledge, uh, so that we can uh, find not only find a job, but find a job that uh, is really satisfactory for us. Uh, so individualization and flexibility of uh, the offer of support for people. I think it's the most important. And the other thing is that helping educational institutions um, provides what is needed by economy so that the trends are observed early on and that the school curricula offer this what is needed not today for the economy but also in the near and maybe longer future. I'll, I'll throw it back to you Gianmarco because there's this technical side and then there's the, the, the more of the political side of the having a system of discussion, of you know, consensus, and then centrally from Brussels to all the member states and vice versa. What is the motivations to do this kind of work, this kind of exercise, to have, you know, this southern, northern dialogue running? Well, I think the key word here is, is, is dialogue. Um, as, as the Luigi and Audi Foundation, we thought that uh, and implementing a, a project and stressing the importance of a dialogue between northern and southern micro regions of, of Europe uh, will be would be the, the 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 most efficient and effective way to actually think about how to better allocate the funds of the next generation. So, as as to quote the a part of the conclusion of of the of the publication, the EU does not have to be interpreted as a fund provider, right? So the, the importance is that between only between only with a dialogue between the northern region and, and the southern regions, uh, this uh, this point of view can actually be respected. So 
not the EU as a fund provider, but actually as uh, an integrated economy where the, the Northwest and the Southeast regions may develop and strengthen their proposal of specialization and also um, attractiveness in the spirit of a fair and healthy competition. So basically, the dialogue is the main instrument, the main tool through which the whole Europe, the whole EU may achieve the best results from the next, gener the, the next generation EU funds. But Barbara, throwing it back to you again, because sometimes, and now when we're talking about the differences, now we're going to talk about similarities. There are similarities. There are things that we can learn with each other when thinking about solutions for Poland and then solutions for countries like Portugal, like Italy, or like for Greece. So what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that uh, we have very, very similar problems. Uh, the specific uh, details of these problems can be different because we have different national regulations. Uh, but the problems are so similar that uh, it's easier to get into this dialogue and to look for solutions together and to discuss the solutions because maybe you have in your country a solution to a specific problem and you can say, look, we did it, it works, maybe you try it and we can have a better solution to a problem. When we applied something and it didn't work, so we tell you, look, we did it, it didn't work, don't do it. So when we get this, get into this dialogue, we can uh, help each other uh, through good solutions to our common problems. This is, this is a great point and it, it brings me to my last question because we're running out of time, unfortunately, but hope to have you back on the podcast because we just started this conversation. And that is, uh, Barbara, Italians have a long uh, history and the Luigi Nodi Fondazione has that history also of more integration, of more, uh, you know, joint work between member states. Here in Portugal, we also, some of us, believe in that. But, you know, countries like from Poland, and we've been experienced that with Netherlands, with, with Hungary, for example. And then, of course, we know the example of uh, the United Kingdom that left the European Union because of things like this and others, of course. And that is from, from your expertise side. And then I'll ask Gianmarco his opinion. How much do you think there could be common rules that are defined centrally by the European Commission or the European Parliament and then they can be applied at the member states? Do you think that Poland will start resisting more and more or as we already mentioned the benefits are so so large and so visible that it's unavoidable what is what are your thoughts on this very sensitive topic well i'm very pessimistic about it because i see not only in poland but uh, also in other countries that politicians uh, do not want too much brussels uh, they want to have this illusional power because they their power is really at with global markets illusion of. Uh, so I think that's really we have to see the positive benefits of EU integration and of common markets working together on the same common problems. So I think that um, the standards should be given by EU and you should supervise the implementation of the standards, but uh, uh, we still don't 
I don't think we need to standardize the institutions in all of the countries, uh, but you should work as a supervisor and check whether um, the solutions uh, offered at the UF uh, level are translated well into the national and regional policies so that uh, effectiveness, efficiency and trust and engagement are guaranteed. And this is a very, very difficult task for the EU, and it can be achieved only when the uh, member states see the benefits of this, that um, it's not losing the sovereignty of a, a member state, but it is uh, a way to ensure that uh, we are working at the member state or regional level in the good direction, that uh, we really are working uh, to solve the problems. And, and Gianmarco, like I promised, I will bring it to you, um, which is this kind of publication looks for dialogue, but also looks for common points and shared experiences and in a way to try to promote this kind of integration on, on solutions like Next Generation EU is one of those instruments. So for you, you know, this kind of exercise are very important, but like Barbara is saying, there's some pessimism going on. So what's, what's your position on this? I, I, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but I would take into account what the current times are. And the current times are showing us a wave of, let's say, political populisms, which actually make uh, the people lack the trust in the EU institutions. So honestly, I think that the EU has to, and obviously has the either capacities and, 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 and the, the, the tools to do it, has to, to re-stress its importance for the cohesion and the, uh, you know, in, in, in for all the EU member states and overcome this uh, wave of populisms that's going on. So basically, it is important for, for the EU, and this is also one of the rationales for the publications that uh, we made from the Fondazione Luigi Naudi, adopts concrete instruments, concrete tools, concrete actions, just to say we are, we are still here and, and we are important for the survival of, of the old member states. So yes, I, I would say this is, this is my position in this. It, it, it's delicate times, and the EU has to put itself again on top, I would say that, and, and not, you know, not be overcame by, by the fear and, and the populists uh, wanting state sovereignty. Yes, and one of the fears, and the populists do explore that, is that there is no way for us to talk amongst us. And getting back to that Westphalian setting of uh, nation states that are, you know, afraid of everyone at their borders and, and of the other and the different ones. So, yes. Um, Barbara, as we're running out of time, please tell our listeners where they can follow your work. Yes, I'm present at ResearchGate. I'm present at Google Scholar, at P uh, Pablons. Uh, so you can find me easily just uh, putting to, into Google my uh, name and surname. Well, I've been talking with Barbara Willisco and Gianmarco Bonvenze. The publication is Next Generation EU, a Southern Northern Dialogue. And the paper is Upskilling and Reskilling. Can they make a difference in Poland? 
Barbara, thank you so much for coming to the podcast and also you, Gianmarco. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ricardo. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Elf for this week of July. On the 14th of July, extending to the 15th, we have Breaking the Cycle, Gender-Based Violence in Public Space. There's going to be a hybrid event based in Sarajevo, in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And if you're listening to this on Friday the 9th, go and apply to participate via Zoom. Some of the topics to be discussed during this two-day event go from impact of COVID-19 pandemic on political participation of women and violence against women in politics, politics in the digital era, women and disinformation, violence against women and the media, and expert and participant roundtable safety and security in politics, strategy and support networks. To know more about this event, you just have to go to www.liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast. It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily 